Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, that is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibi Ordunia. And this is Words and Shit. Brought to you by The Blah Poetry Spot and Write Art Out. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Eddie, I got a question for you. Okay. Like usual. <laughs> because ain't no secret that you are a taco fan. A taco aficionado, if you will. Aficionado, if you will. And uh, I mean... I'm a lover of foods as well. Yes, you are, yeah. And something that goes well with tacos, and actually, dare I say, goes well with anything, is rice. Mm-hmm. And there, there's so much. There's there's jasmine rice. Uh-huh. There's long grain rice, sushi <laughs> rice, ba, 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 balsamic rice. Right. I think uh, red rice, brown rice, green rice, all of it. Right. Black rice. Uh huh. Rice. Feel like Forrest Gump right now. A little bit. A little bit. It's that kind of thing. Rice, shrimp, grits. No, not grits. Um. <laughs> so let me ask you, what is your favorite kind of rice? Oh, favorite kind. Um. Well, that, that's tough. Okay. So, um, I've got there's there's two rices out there that are amazing to me. One is, and, and I I was once married. And uh, my ex-wife's mother made an amazing fried rice with shrimp. Mm. Like, like when, when the kids since since I've been divorced, the kids have like said, "Oh, well, I made some rice." I'm like, "Was it the fried one with the, the one with the shrimp?" And like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if you can sneak some out, I will take some. It was amazing. The second one is my own grandmother's rice. My mom's mom. She made a sopa de arroz, uh, so the rice was a little bit soupy it was it was a little there was some 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 water to it you know mm-hmm. uh, but it was it wasn't mushy you know this okay. this, this is something um <clears throat> uh they made sopas in i guess northern mexico um sopa de arroz sopa de fideo you know um mm-hmm. and her, her rice was uh was wet i guess you could say but it was still whole and um it was just amazing mm. but what about you what's your rice so there, there are two that I live for as well. I'm a Gemini. I can't choose. So there are two rices. <clears throat> Should we call them Reese's? Reese rice? I don't know what the plural right is. Right there. Okay. <laughs> uh, one is, is fried rice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like the Chinese fried rice or Japanese fried rice. Uh, there's this one restaurant in Laredo that serves what they call yakimeshi rice. And it's a fried rice that has chicken and beef and shrimp and avocado and cream cheese and sesame seeds like it's just it's a whole meal is that is that is that a word that means just like everything rice yeah uh, something (laughs) like that yes it does translate to something like that i make a version of it here and my husband calls it oh so messy rice uh because it is uh your fried rice i think once and that was pretty good it was good stuff. i'm I'm pretty good at the the fried rice but then the other one not exactly a rice dish but it has rice is the southern mexico version of albondigas where it's like you have the albondiga that has like the hard boiled egg inside and it's in a soup that has the red rice thrown into it so you it's oh. it's so good because the rice is in the soup and there's like a chipotle flavor and you have the meat and the hard boiled eggs and you're just like mm-hmm. that's you know what's amazing about that is is what you're pointing out is that's a southern Mexican dish. Mm-hmm. I lived in southern Mexico that was quite rice. Northern Mexico is more of like it's a brown, reddish, brownish color. Mm-hmm. Uh, all throughout Latin America, all throughout the world, but all throughout Latin America, the Latin Americans have their own rice. Each is different. Each is particular, mm-hmm. made differently. Mm-hmm. And we each love our rice. And the reason we're talking about this because we had a conversation with Jasmine Mendes. That's right. And uh, the a Dominicana. And it seems like rice is a point of contention in her marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so she's married to a Mexican-American. She's married to a Mexican-American. She is Dominican-American. And like you said, rice has its own style all over Latin America. And people will fight you on their rice. That's right. So let's just dive right into it. Tell us a little bit about Jasmine Mendes. We have with us today Jasmine Mendes. Dominican-American poet, educator, playwright, and award-winning author. 
She's got poetry and essays published by or in the forthcoming in the New England Review, Crab Creek Review, Kenyon Review, Gulf Coast, The Rumpus, and others. She's the author of two poetry slash poetry prose collections. That's right. <laughs> Award and Night Blooming Jasmine, a personal essays and poetry from Arte Publico Press. She's an MFA graduate of the Creative Writing Program at the Rainier Writing Workshop and at Pacific Lutheran University and a University of Houston alumnus. Go Cougs! Her second young adult memoir, A Bucket of Dirty Water, Memories of My Childhood, of My Girlhood, and her debut picture book, Josefina's Abichuelas. It's an awesome title. <laughs> will be released in 2021. And her first full poetry collection, Machete, will be released in 2022, 2022 through Noemi Press. You know, there are poets, Chibi, that stay up like all night working. You know, night mm -hmm. poets. I know because I get messages from them like at one in the morning, you know. But Jasmine, however, is part of a 5 a.m. writing club. Ooh. She gets up and writes at 5 a.m. You follow her on Twitter, you know that she's got a daughter, and her daughter deserves her own YouTube channel, let me tell you. I thought she had one, but <laughs> that's not the case. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Jasmine Mendez. Jasmine, how are you doing? Hi, buenas noches, buenas tardes. How is everyone? Doing great, great. How are you? Good, I'm good. I'm excited to, to, to be here with you all tonight. Thank we're you. so excited to yeah, have We're excited, yeah. yeah. Because I believe this is the first time that we will have officially had a power couple uh, on on our show. Some would argue that Dr. Hensbow and Shadow from Southern Fried are a power couple, but- But they we were had, together, not separate. <laughs> yes, we had Lupe on this show a few months ago, and mm. now we have you, and I feel like we have completed the circle Aww. of life. <laughs> You're so sweet. Yeah, lots of folks say that about us, um, which, which is, Good, I think, and strange. I feel like, are we? Because, like, really, our lives are very boring. We were like, oh my gosh, I would love to just like be a fly on your wall. I'm like, no, like, literally five minutes ago, literally, he and I were just like having Chinese and watching Parks and Rec, and I was like, barfing from like chicken and broccoli, and I was like, oh wait, what time is it? And he's like, six fifty-four. I was like, okay, I've still got like two minutes. Fine. But I mean, that's part of being a power couple. It's this like <laughs> idea of like sometimes we just sit in our underwear and watch sitcoms, and yeah. sometimes we out there changing the world. That's right. We try. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We are so excited to have you here today. But before we dive into this conversation, let's start the way we always do and just hand the show over to you so that you can bless us with some poetry. Thank you. And I just have to say very quickly that I love the Frida painting sketch that you have in the background. I am coveting it right now because I love everything Frida. Um, and so because of that, I'm going to I'm going to start with uh one of my poems that is after a Frida Kahlo painting. Um, <clears throat> this is titled Self-Portrait Negra in the Mirror after Frida Kahlo. I write myself into syllables and accents because I am the subject I know best. Wear denial like a thrift store blouse, too comfortable to take off. Filter my negra into Spanish and translate the bitter fruit into something the world can swallow. I straighten my hair, dilute my rage, and subdue the magic in my hands. I slept while men mismatched the histories of me. Uh, excuse me. I, <laughs> I straighten my hair, dilute my rage, and subdue the magic in my hands. I slept while, mis while, men, men while men misstitched the histories of me and my gods. I let self-hate lace me up into colonial ivory linens. I lathered the almost whiteness of coconut milk skin lotion and searched one day to find my limbs, a litany of hyphens surgically grafted to an improper place. A self-portrait I painted, a someone who wasn't me. Then with a compact mirror of tears, I made love to my reflection and smudged myself anew. Repurposed the cocoa butter melanin that anoints my skin and bone. I stopped sniffing my African veins with hemostat covered in blood. I crowned with two hearts beating beneath a burnt blue gray sage sky. I awoke and blessed these two bodies till one blood and into us both. If y'all could see the way that this poem is structured, you'd understand why I had a hard time reading it because it's the lines are like staggered left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. And so it's hard to follow. It was, it was fun in theory to write it that way. 
Um, all right, so this next piece, um, I am going to share, um, and I'm dedicating it to, I don't know if she's watching tonight, but to Adriana Salazar. Um, there was like a twi Twitter thread thing that happened uh, a while ago uh, on, on rice and like loving all kinds of rice. Um, and it reminded me of a, of a time when Lupe and I uh, were out with some friends when we could still do that. And it was after a poetry reading, a poetry event, and we were all together and we realized, you know, how like ethnically uh, diverse we all were in the group. Um, and we started talking about food, of course, um, and rice came up and we talked about how rice is like the most like, you know, beloved food in like all of the world, right? And and we talked about how we all cook different rice. And so we thought about like having a rice cook-off, which when this pandemic is over and we can gather, we are going to have a like rice cook-off festival at the Mendez house. So bring your country of origins rice dish, rice dish, and we're gonna have a cook-off. Uh, Cause Lupin and I always argue about like, is my rice, is, is Dominican rice better than Mexican rice? And so we have this debate quite often in our house. I think we're gonna have to let Luz Maria decide when she's older. So this is my poem, I'm dedicating it tonight to Adriana Salazar, who was like super excited about the possibility of a rice cook-off. Uh, <clears throat> and it's called Bounty. If I can't return to water, then lay me on a bed of rice. I shake blue river stones and white pebbles in my palm. I shake rice in a bowl to hear a rain song. I let my fingers settle in the bowl, a memory of bounty and loss. I turn the grains round and round my knuckles, a fistful of what makes the heart go soft. They chalk my skin white, a saint, a cleansing, a dusting of what remains. I roll these farm pearls between my fingers, diamonds on dark skin, a starry night in El Campo. I add water to the bowl, slow and across, the way you might bless yourself in a cathedral, a rush of wet pebbles skins the surface. I rinse and wash these baby teeth of the soil. I thread the obsidian ones, the dirty rice out. They are not fit for baptism. They are crushed seashells plucked from a bed of sand. Rice doesn't like to leave anyone behind. I drain the mulch into my palm and feel how it weighs with water and clings to skin, a second offering. Rice gives without asking for anything in return, and the earth won't take it back now. I spoon the blessed crystals out and toss them into the silver pot. The salt water whispers steam, a love song to my lashes. I listen as the pot hums. I look for what may remain of my mother's mother and her mother's mother and all the mothers I will never know. I watch as the grains of rice grow. All right. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and do, I'm gonna read the one uh, that was published this week in poets.org. Um, people seem to like it. And so I thought it would be nice to, to read it aloud, um, but there is audio of it there. So, you know, um, along the border. And I'll, I'll say just a little bit, um, it's in the about section, but I'll talk briefly. Um, the inspiration for this poem um, was a couple of things, um, but predominantly one, on one of my trips to the DR uh, to visit family and to do research and, and interview folks um, for the, the manuscript that I was working on, which is the one that's forthcoming with Noemi. Um, we were just you know, it's kind of one of those days off, if you will, uh, but it's never really a day off, I guess, um, if you're a poet, because you're always kind of observing and everything is um, can become a poem. And uh, we were at the beach and we were, um, you know, we were just there and and uh, there was a group of, of, uh, of like Haitian artisans that came by um, selling, you know, uh, selling things as well as like uh, things that they had made, like lots of um, like like necklaces and bracelets and leather things and stuff um, and sarongs and they were they asked to braid me and my sister's hair and all of these things um, and within maybe five to seven minutes of them being there with us um, these Dominican sort of beach patrol guys came up on a on a golf cart um, and like yelled at them and you know were just sort of being very verbally uh, abusive and rude uh, and and picked them up and and. In the golf cart and and rode them off, um, and I was just so like taken aback um, by by that experience and by that moment. And then I thought about the fact that you know I'm here this 
Dominican American, you know, mostly basically just American uh, with of Dominican descent, um, who's here freely able to enjoy, you know, um, the DR and the island. Um, and, and my parents actually, they moved there a few years ago. And so they were living there. And so I was visiting them as well as some other extended family members. Um, and so I thought about the fact that my parents could freely come and go. Yes, they were born there, um, but they've lived, you know, they had lived in the States for over 30 years and then went back. Um, and I could come there no problem because of my blue passport and enjoy and, and do things. And they, you know, were from the other half of the island um, and couldn't even, uh, you know, try to make a living there. Or if they tried, right, they were, <clears throat> They were they were pulled away, um, and and I. Uh, but then I also thought about the fact that I, I do live in Texas, right? And so um, I've I've been to the to the Texas Mexico border on a number of occasions, and also have been sort of very much taken aback by that that stark uh, contrast, um, and just sort of that the border politics, right? The, of of who lives where and how and who controls what space and those sort of arbitrary lines. And so that's why I kind of I left the title very vague because I wanted us to imagine that this could be any border uh, anywhere in the world, um, even though it was specifically kind of about, you know, these two experiences. <clears throat> Along the border, after Idra, after, after Idra Novi. On a dirt road, on a drive to El Campo, you found a bate, I cut the cane, we sucked on a stock, you gave me your arms and I swam in the river. We locked the door, then the lights went out and the radio played. You fingered the pesos, I walked to the beach. We fried the fish, you ate the mango. I jumped in the water, we bought the flowers. Then the migrants came and you bartered for more. Then the sirens blared and they were carried away, but we didn't stop them. Then the ocean swept and the palm trees sagged. They were foreigners, we were foreigners, and we lived there. Sharp, simple, and sweet. <clears throat> I'm gonna, um, I don't know if my 15 minutes is coming up, but I, I, I think I'm gonna read two more um, and save uh, another one for, for later. Um, so this next piece uh, <clears throat> is in the persona of a machete, which is the, the title, uh, the current title. <laughs> it's gone through many titles and I wouldn't be surprised if it goes through a couple more before it's actually published. Um, but uh, it's it's in the persona of, of the machete. Uh, and uh, this book um, that is to, is forthcoming with Noemi Press um, is, uh, has been a passion project, uh, has been sort of one of my obsessions uh, for the last few years. Um, and it traces and looks at the history of the 1937 Haitian massacre along the northwestern border of the Dominican Republic and Haiti in the city of the Jabon. Um, and this was during the Trujillo era, which is a 30-year dictatorship um, uh, in the DR, uh, 1930s to 1961. Uh, Rafael uh, Trujillo was a dictator there. Um, and in this, in this instant, in 1937, he... Uh, had La Guardia, his men, um, murder, assault and murder, um, uh, Haitian migrants um, and um, and Dominicans of Haitian descent, anyone um, whom they assumed uh, could not uh, or was not uh, Dominican uh, or looked Dominican enough, right? Um, who couldn't roll their R's, who had small ears, whose skin was too dark, or if you helped um, aid uh, a Haitian from, you know, if you shielded them and protected them or, you know, kept them in your home to keep them from being, um, from being killed, um, you could also be killed, right? Um, and the instrument of choice uh, was the machete. So um, they were literally um, cut and uh, uh, hacked, if you will, uh, to, to pieces, many of them, unfortunately. Um, and, and Trujillo did this so that it would look like uh, a tussle between um, farm workers and not a state state sanctioned um, murder and violent act and attempted genocide. Um, so I so in my book, I take the persona, uh, one of the personas in the book is, is the machete. Uh, and this is one of uh, the pieces one of when he speaks. Machete, look, <clears throat> with an epigraph. It matters what you call a thing, Somaz Sharif. It isn't easy to look at what I have cut which is to say wounded from the body of a tree or a woman or a child, which is to say lean in and over and learn to live without, which is to say want a limb, a phantom pain, a cold sharpness where the blood or the blade remembers bone, which is to say map 
what I have done for war and for cane, for borders and for land, to lovers and to home, which is to say, look the other way, there is always more to see. And I will end on this one to try to end on a slightly higher note. Um, <clears throat> and this one I'm sharing because um, I got like fan mail this week from that poets.org uh, posting because it's shared to like thousands of people. Um, and so a few folks went to my website and used my contact form and contacted me. And there was this one from this uh, very lovely woman um, who's currently living in Switzerland, um, who's like a PhD candidate or wants to be a PhD candidate in education. And so from the Along the Border poem, she went to my website, looked at some more of my work, and she found this piece that I'm about to read. And she said it spoke to her as an educator um, and, and how to reach and sort of teach uh, ELL students and bilingual students, et cetera. So I don't know if she's listening. I don't know if she'll see this, but this one's for you, Sada. An abecedarian lesson for my bilingual students in Houston. At the beginning of each school year as a bilingual creative writing teacher in Texas, I have to stand in front of a classroom lined with Spanish speaking students and defend my Dominican Spanish because their eager Spanish speaking tongues from other Spanish speaking countries forget that not all Spanish speaking gente living in El Norte or America or Texas or Houston are from Mexico or Guatemala or El Salvador or Puerto Rico. I try to inspire them with visions of hammocks hanging between palmas and jacaranda trees blooming all year long. We practice words like guagua and quisqueya. I tell them my avocado island is ripe with chinola and cacao and in the streets language bounces buoyant from our tongues to the trumpets in our merengue. There is no slow talk, slow down or slow Spanish. Somos negritos come coco, and there is always somewhere else to be, even in our mouths. Often, I explain, my tongue will roll out of breath a pilon pressing platanos for mofongo before the meat gets tough. Quizás you won't understand me, I say, but quisqueya is bold, red, a mocking hibiscus flower growing abundant, blue mouth waves surrendering molasses for Yemaya, where the sun opens una flor de mantequilla as tainos and tambores mark the beginning and end of time. It is un chin de habichuelas con dulce, un poquito de arroz con leche, and a vámonos pa' la playa, primo, wave after a que lo que, tigres smile. Every year, when I begin to speak my Spanish to little boys and girls named Joaquin, Guadalupe, and Xochitl, they stop, turn their ears towards the distant country of my Spanish and ask, Y maestra, ¿por qué hablas así? And I always begin the lesson by saying, because my zapatos are covered in sea salt sand and sometimes the grains get stuck between my teeth. Thank you. That was amazing. That last poem, um, the seamless going back and forth between their English and Spanish, for one, in, in the reading, uh, mm -hmm. I noticed that. Um, and we, we talked to Carmen Tafoya a few weeks ago about um, Spanglish poetry or bilingual poetry, or um, I guess that, that way in which we go back and forth, the code switching you know, in, within a poem. And I'm curious, has that ever been an issue with you, like, like with audience-wise, with people coming up to you and saying either it's Spanish or it's English, but it's not both? I've never actually had that. Um, I, I've gotten actually, you know, pretty much like the complete opposite of that, you know, um, folks that, um, okay, I, let me, hold, let me um, qualify this. <laughs> In public readings, MFA workshops, that's another conversation. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe that's uh, this conversation. That there either. Um, so, so I'll say, so, so here's what I'll say. In like reading out in public, I've never gotten that. I've gotten the complete opposite. Folks are usually like, that's so amazing. Like, I love it. And even folks, you know, I've had like 
old white dudes that are like, I didn't understand what you said half of it, but I felt it and it felt good. <laughs> you know, like they're just like, because I have other poems that have a lot more Spanish. I have a lot of singing. Um, I might do that one. I might do one of those last. Um, but you know, so so and I sometimes I used to get really nervous about that, but like I've gotten to the point where like I give zero. Can we first? I give zero fucks. Um, so, um, you know, I'm just like, this is me. And like, some people are going to like it and some people aren't. And like, it's not my problem, you know, like mm -hmm. I, you know, um, and because I've gotten such varied and good responses from folks that are just from everywhere. Like, again, I've had this like man from Germany who came up to me really thick accent and, you know, and he was like, I totally relate to your immigrant experience. And I was like, well, um, you know, and so, and, and I think folks, um, really yearn for it um especially like the the young um kiddos like they they don't get to see that that a lot and they're afraid to do it themselves because again yeah they've been told like it's either english or it's either spanish and spanish da, 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 it's not good and and i don't do it like frivolously contrary to some people in my mfa program's belief <laughs> um it, it, it you know like the words that i choose to use in spanish are very intentional um, and very purposeful. And oftentimes there's just not a good English equivalent. So, so why am, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. the whole thing about like un chin de habichuela con dulce, like there's this whole thing about like un chin is a very Dominican thing. Like nobody, like I didn't, it wasn't even until I like came and had like a friend here in Texas who's like, who's Mexican. She was like, your whole thing, she came over and stayed with my, my family and me for like a weekend. And she's like, everyone keeps saying un chin. What is un chin? I'm like, doesn't everybody use this? Like it's a, like, and it's a little bit like un poquito, it's like un chin. It's just like, like a little bit like it's just what you know what i'm saying and so like you can't you can't really translate that and like it again it gives you the feel of like of of me and my language and like what it means to be dominican and um you know it's i don't know yeah i've i've never i've i feel like i've never had anyone say like oh it can only be one or the other and and not publishers either um it's always been very like just i've been fortunate in that regard i think so much to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're, you're so right. We got a comment. Again, we're watching the comments, y'all. Uh, saying, I'm not even bilingual, and I just love the passion so much. You don't have to understand word by word to feel it. So right right on the nail, exactly what you're talking about there. Um, and you did a beautiful, beautiful job of just kind of like depicting Dominican life, you know, Dominican food in that as a very badly trap. I've traveled a lot, but I have not traveled to a lot of Latin American. I've only been to Mexico. Um, tell us about the Dominican Republic. Like, what's your favorite thing about the Dominican Republic? Oh, my gosh. That's a good question. I feel like I'd say real, I'd be really lame if I said the beach. But like, <laughs> but I really, really is. Um, but okay, this is what I'll say. So it's it's pretty much it's the landscape, right? So the the land in and of itself, right? It's not just the beach, but like these like gorgeous green, lush, like rolling hills that then like lead to a river that then leads to the ocean that then has like a mountain behind it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just like. Ah, it's just breathtaking and it's it's beautiful and um it's it's just it, it's so much it's an interesting contrast because I think even in, in that along the border poem I kind of touch on it a little bit in the sense that like I can come right as like this foreigner and really enjoy this rich landscape but also getting there to to these places to these like hole in the wall like these small little like rivers and towns and like you know secluded beaches you you drive past a lot of poverty Right. And so there's this like this paradox of like this is a beautiful space. And yet, like, you know, here are these like 10 barefoot children who maybe don't have dinner tonight. You know, and it's just like how it's like I'm constantly trying to like reconcile with that. And it's constantly trying to like be like, oh, I'm just like horrible American tourist here, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, but but I think too. I, I still do also see like a lot of joy in the people that live there. Um, and I see that in, in my own family, a lot of whom do still live in poverty. Um, and so it's, you know, just, I'm constantly trying to like navigate that within myself and just even when I'm there, right? Yeah. And then so, quick, quick little follow up on that. Your favorite Dominican plate. You can't ask me that. Okay. Ah! I'm going to ask all our guests in the next five weeks, those two questions, just, Heads this up. Other so Dominican plates? You're going to ask them your favorite? No, their favorite, like, you, you know, said, if you they're Puerto Rican, yeah. their favorite. Okay, so um, I'm just going to have to say, because the first one is always, it's Sancocho, which is like a, a stew. It's it's basically just like a stew with like chicken and beef and like 
platano and like lots of verduras and like we call them viveres, we call them, we call them, just like all of it. It's basically like I want to say it probably came up like trash can super like oh what do we have in the fridge dump it all in a in a pot you know but like no it's so delicious it doesn't matter if it's like 102 degrees outside and you know if like one little drop of rain comes down we're making some gotcha <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like with, with me and caldo de pollo i do the same thing i don't uh, care yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or you know my daughter says uh i'll say i'm making caldo she's like are, are you sick is somebody sick <laughs> you know, but, um, I was gonna ask, and, and you know, um, because I've had, of course, Mexican rice, uh, I've had some dirty rice, I've had uh, Puerto Rican rice, but I've not had Dominican rice. Can you tell me what the difference is? Like, what's so what's it kind of depends. So, it's okay, it is different than Mexican rice, well, at least the way Lubrick looks it. Um, <laughs> no, <but> also, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're like northern and southern Mexico are different rice too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think so. We ours is I think it's a little more. It's more on the side of like um, Puerto Rican or like Cuban rice. So we've had Puerto Rican rice. Like it's pretty much it's very similar um, in the sense that like it's a lot looser. We don't like we're not like the big okay. like we don't do mushy rice. We don't do well. Like it has to be like loose grains. Like it's got to be loose. You know. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of we do a lot of arroz con pollo. We do a lot of moto, um, but not with black beans. So Cubans have their moto with like, it's like black bean and rice. It's like black beans in the rice, right? Like rice, like uh, red beans and rice, like you might find in like Louisiana, but theirs is like with black beans. We don't really cook with black beans. It's all very much like red beans, kidney beans. Um, and so we'll do moto like that way or arroz con guandules, which is also a very like Puerto Rican thing, but we do it also. Um, so yeah, it's like, if you've had Puerto Rican rice, it's pretty much like, that's, it's very similar. What to color is it? It's like orange, like my hair, like orange yellow. <laughs> like it's, yeah. <laughs> Whereas like my scene rice is a little bit redder. I've noticed like he also is a little bit redder. And like Luba also cooks his like very differently than I could. Like he fries it at the bottom first. Mm -hmm. No, that's how you do it. That's not, that's <laughs> not how you do it. We've had this argument. Don't make me argue with you. <laughs> but also it's, so it's not so much about the rice as it is about the concon, which is the, the the Puerto Ricans call it pegao, Dominicans call oh, it gongon. Okay. It's the the scraped at the bottom, the crunchy rice at the bottom. Which yeah. the first time my mom did that, Lupe thought he was like gonna die. He's like, that you don't eat that. Like that that if your rice does that at the bottom of the pot, that means you didn't cook it right. And I'm like, <laughs> that in my face. Like <laughs> is the shit. Like don't hate on gongon. Gongon is everything. Like I will eat a whole bowl of just gongon, like the crunchy rice. With the, you pour some like some of the um. Like beans, like on top to like moisten it up just a little bit. Oh, some habichuela guisada on top of con con, dude, that's heaven right there. I have not had dinner and I am like, really <laughs> I'm sorry. I have had dinner and I'm still like, I don't even know what you're saying, but it sounds. I'm gonna know what you're about Just watch. Yes. Um. So let me ask you, because you 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 mentioned Frida back here somewhere. Oh my gosh, I'm totally jacking that. I'm gonna come to your house. It's, um, my mom did it. My mom's a painter, an artist artist. <laughs> um, Beautiful. She has a few Fridas. And and I too have a Frida poem. Yours is phenomenally better, just saying. Uh, but what is it, you know, because again, you're Dominican, but somehow like Dominican American, Frida was very Mexican Mexican, but she transcends that. You know, like what is it about Frida that, that touches you so much because you mentioned like she was a, an important figure for you. Yeah, so for me it was um, in in the last, uh, with my with my last book, A Night Blooming Jasmine, um, I was, I when I wrote that I was was very, very ill. I had a lot of chronic illness. I still have chronic illness, I live with autoimmune diseases, uh, lupus and scleroderma. Um, and, but that was like, when I was writing that book was like the height of all of it. Like it was really like, I was in and out of the hospital and out of emergency rooms, multiple surgeries. Um, also dealing with infertility, had a miscarriage, like all of that. And so I found a lot of my experience and a lot of my story in, in Frida's story, right? In mm -hmm. her story of, of, of disability, of, of pain, of creating art to work through the pain, of telling her story and her experience through her artwork. Um, and that's how, that's how I dealt with, with my sort of grief and sorrow and how I dealt with the loss of like all these dreams, right? That I was, all this life that I was supposed to live that suddenly was like, you know, my body was like, fuck that, you're not doing it, sit your ass down. You know, my body was basically like, no, sit down, take some seats um, and, and rest um, and heal. And it was a very long time, you know, for me to, to heal per se. Um, and so I just, yeah, I saw a lot of, of my own 
sort of lived experience in, in what she went through. Um, and, and yeah, and I, I just thought, I, I, I see her strength and I see her journey um, and, and I see that for sure in myself. And just like, you know, she, she had her arms in her hands, but sort of from the waist down was, had a lot of difficulty, right? Um, throughout her life. And, and with me, it was, as you can see, so I've, have, I've had a, have a partial finger amputation, uh, partial finger, so like a deformed finger there, um, this one, like a nail. So this is all for my chronic illness. And this is my dominant hand, this is my right hand. And so I've had to relearn how to do a lot of things and I'm constantly dropping things and I'm constantly, you know, um, I can barely write by hand, which is my, which was my preferred way of writing poetry um, because it cramps my hand will, will just like seize up really bad. Um, and so, so that's hard, right? If you're an artist and you can't use the body part that you need to be able to create art. Um, and so I think that I just, yeah, I mean, I just, I just identify with, with her experience as well. Mm -hmm. Up because I have my I have my own Frida painting right here. And I'm like, oh, you know, like it's right above. So, yeah. Wow, I love that. That's yeah. an amazing story and overcoming all of that. Yeah, <clears throat> you um, I I read an article uh, of yours. Uh, I think it was, or I'm not sure if it's an article or a blog post, uh, where you were um, talking about. I think you were subbing in a classroom, mm -hmm. um, in in a middle school. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> uh, maybe I've written a lot of things. Culture. It was about culture and colorism, and uh, I guess I'm wondering: Were you uh, teaching in a school that was did not have a lot of min minority population? You talk about ELL, but I'm, I'm sure that's like there's a minority population there. But was this something similar? So I've taught in a lot of different places. So I, uh, aside from, from teaching full time, I also, I spent many years uh, being a teaching artist. So I hop around to a lot of different places. Um, and on a number of occasions, those places are definitely like PWIs, like predominantly white institutions. And I'm like the only, like, <laughs> I'm like one of three and the other, you know, two are cafeteria workers, right? So it's like, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's real, unfortunately, right? Like that's the situation. And so, um, yeah, I but I experienced it even here living in Texas, right? Um, as a bilingual teaching artist, bilingual teacher, when I walk into the classroom, right? Like Afro Latinos, like we're just, we're a purple unicorn, right? Around here. Um, and so when I start speaking Spanish, then, you know, they're like, you know Spanish? And I'm like, you see slavery. Um, no, I, do ones. I do it with the grown ones, but you know, I just seem like I, I try to give a little history and a little background for folks that for the children that are sort of really confused at how like a black person can speak Spanish um, and talk about being Dominican. And, and now I feel like maybe in the last two to three years, uh, especially with like high school students and stuff like that, it's a little less sort of like shock because um, you're like, oh, like Cardi B. And I'm like, Okay, yeah, sure, it's a connection. Yeah, let's make it, come on, why not? You know, and so they they have, especially with like reggaeton and more of like the music, right, and social media, there's a little more um, understanding of it, mm. right, about Latinidad and Black Latinx and what that means and what that can look like. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, I, I still for sure struggle with it, like having to like explain and justify like my, you know, my identity, my person, like my being here um, and, and my speaking Spanish so fluently without an accent and speaking English without an accent. Like everyone's just like so shocked that I don't have an accent when I speak either language. And I'm like, because I'm bilingual. That's what I want about. But do you think that there's like a different responsibility um, as um, a minority teacher or art educator or in a PWI? Like, is there like, a bigger, like a, I don't know, a bigger role you have to play or do you have to just let it be experience, uh, their experience of you? I think it depends. I, I think it's a very individualized choice. Um, it's one of the reasons I did not last at one school where I was teaching part-time as a theater teacher. I, I literally uh, left like two weeks after Trump was elected because I was like, oh, so Mr. Principal, you're not gonna respond to my email about how we're gonna address this nonsense? okay, I'm out. Um, and so, so yeah, I think it's individual. I've known teachers who are like, listen, I need this paycheck. I need my money. I'm not going to ruffle feathers. This shit's too bureaucratic. I, you know, like this stuff has been here since the dawn of time, right? Like this school has been here since like what, 1920. 
Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they're, and they kind of like, they're there and, and I don't, and I don't hate them for that. Like, I'm like, listen, you, you got this job. It's a, it's a cush gig. Like it's at a private school or it's this kind of institution. Um, your kids gets to go here for free or for a discount. Like, I don't hate on that. You know what I'm saying? Like just your presence is already like in a, in its own way, a revolutionary act. Like the fact that you are here and you are teaching and you are in this role as like an educator, like do you boo, you know? Um, and, and they, and, and it's also like, it takes an emotional toll to be the person who is like emailing or talking or trying to say like, we need to have culturally responsive texts or we need to have like more authors of color in our literature or in our syllabi. Like that shit takes work and it's tiring and it's it can be traumatic. It can be stress inducing, you know what I'm saying? And so I think it really, um, I think that sometimes the pressure can feel like it's, like it's there, like it's on us. Um, and it just, it's a matter of like what, what you choose to do with it. Like I don't, I don't necessarily expect anyone to like to do that labor because it's labor and it's and it's work and it's it's um, exhausting uh, and it's risky, right? Like you're risking potentially like alienating yourself. You're risking losing your job. You're risking like bad reviews. You're risking not getting letters of recommendation. Like it's a whole thing, right? And so um, I, for me, one of the responsibilities that I do take, regardless of whether I choose, because I've had different roles. Some schools I'm like. I'm gonna like fight the power. Other schools, I'm like, I'm tired. And can y'all because <laughs> I'm tired. So, but but regardless of of where I land on that spectrum, I always make sure in my role that I connect with and connect to other students of color, like especially the girls. I always make them know that I my door is always open. I'm always here to listen to you. I will come and sit with y'all at lunch. I will ask you about your family. I will learn about your interests. Like that I can at least make change in that one-on-one -on -one level, even if I can't make systematic change at the school-wide level, do you know what I'm saying? And so like, mm -hmm. I make sure if I'm at a PWI that like every, like even if it's just in my grade level or my department, like every student of color like knows that I'm available for them, you yeah. know? So that That's kind of in one way too, like I make sure, you know, regardless of if I'm like, I'm tired, <laughs> you know, but that I'm there for the, because that, that's what you're there for, like that's who needs you. Like, yeah. I mean, luckily, as an as an artist and as a writer, as an activist, you have found so many different ways to connect with people. You know, you you write in so many different genres. You got poetry, you got children's books, you got memoirs, like, and then you have all these other projects that, like, we were talking about at the beginning of the show. You and Lupe are a power couple. You've got so so many things happening. I want to ask you about Tintero projects. You yeah. Know? For those that are watching that don't know what it is, can you tell us a little bit about what it is? And a little history, like how did you guys start that? And yeah, so Better Projects is, um, I, you know, I'm gonna say it's mostly Lupe's baby. I am here, and I'm I'm available to like I help with all the logistics and like you know come showtime, I'm there 110. Um, beforehand, I'm a little like, wow, what's happening? Um, so Tintero Projects is a reading uh, and writers workshop series developed uh, by Lupe. And then I was like, I want to do it too. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and we were, we wanted to showcase um, uh, Latinx uh, and POC writers uh, from the Texas Gulf Coast region, um, but also from everywhere, right? Nationally and even internationally um, and provide a space for them to be able to um, to read their work, to get their books sold, um, to share uh, their current projects, um, to be able to build their craft, uh, to get experience teaching workshops. And we provide um, these, these workshops and readings for free to the public. Uh, we do like to pay our writers either through small grants or our own pocket. <laughs> uh, a lot of it is our own pocket, but we, we do wanna compensate the writers uh, for their work and their time. Um, and we've had collaborations with local theaters, Stages Repertory Theater, with the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, with the Holocaust Museum, with um, so many, so many organizations uh, around town uh, doing collaborations and bringing poets and writers to those spaces um, to, to share their work to people who maybe haven't been exposed to poetry or storytelling or playwriting. Um, and, and yeah, we, it's a labor of love. Um, we fell off a little bit with this whole pandemic, uh, but we're, we're starting some new readings, uh, some, yeah, readings and uh, performances uh, coming up. We just had our first one um, a couple weeks ago. Our next one is uh, going to be October 2nd. We have another one before that. You can check our website, Tintero Projects. See what I'm saying? This is Lupe's baby. I don't know a lot of the details. I like, I just show up and I'm like, do y'all need snacks? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm literally just like, 
where, you know, I plug it on social media. Um, I, I mean, I do more, obviously, like I do uh, contact folks and update the website and stuff like that. But, um, but you're I the, yeah, you're the soccer mom for Latinx writers. I really am. Like when it comes to it, I'm just like snacks and cookies and wine. <laughs> and, like I'll set up the Zoom call, all that sort of logistical stuff. Um, and we do have a podcast. So the Theater Projects also collaborates with uh, Imprint Houston, which is a literary arts organization. Um, and they've been gracious enough to give us space and time and funding uh, for our fun little podcast, similar to you all. Like we just like banter, you know, for a little bit and we bring in a writer and we like, we just ask them the questions that we have, you know, we want to, we talk to them about their work and we just kind of like geek out on, on awesome writers. So. And that's Inkwell podcast, right? Inkwell. Yeah. Inkwell podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I don't want to change subjects from your uh, project so quickly, but uh, I can't help but hear in the background uh, a, a beautiful child and a father that's probably chasing around the house for her. Uh, so your yeah. daughter, Luz Maria, yeah. uh, is kind of famous, apparently. Yeah. She has her own little uh, Twitter show. I guess maybe we should get a, get a YouTube channel. It just feels wrong. I don't know. I'd rather just like post little videos. Um, yeah, she. I say she's more like more entertaining and she's definitely cuter than I am. Uh, Cause she's just a ham, you know, she's a Gemini. People tell me that means something. Uh, yeah, she's a Gemini and uh, she lives with two Scorpios, both Lupe and I are Scorpios. Um, but we're like, we're like the complete opposite on the spectrum. I mean, we're both stubborn and we're both passionate. Um, but he's like Mr. Jolly gregarious. And I'm like, I don't got time. I got shit to do. Like, let's go. <laughs> you know? Um, and I see that in her, you know, like I totally see that and see both sides of that in her. Um, but she's such a ham. Like, I can't even tell. Like, I think it's the theater in both me and Lupe because Lupe and I met during doing um, a community theater show. And so she just she makes all the faces and she says all the things like I think I, I tweeted earlier tonight, like her favorite her new favorite phrase that I said literally one time is Claro que sí. Claro que sí. I'm like, you're two. How are you saying like a full sentence? Like, I don't understand, you know? And, and she's a little dictator. She's just like, siéntate, camina, vamos. You know, everything is like one word commands and you like have to do it or, you know, it's like, she's super sweet though. Yeah, she's great. Well, that, you know, that, the, the Scorpio thing, the different cooking thing, uh, that leads me, leads me to this question. What do you think is a bigger challenge? Being married to a poet or being married to a Mexican-American? You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I know, right? We didn't ask Lupe any of these questions. Oh, you know what? I should have read that poem. Maybe I'll end with that poem. I can't remember my, my book. Um, so I wrote a whole poem about it in my last book. Um, uh, when you marry a Mexican-American. <laughs> Literally the title of the poem. Um, what's harder? I I don't know if they're hard. I think I mean they're the same person. So Okay, well then let's change it. What's a better blessing? I think I think the Mexican American part because and now I'm gonna cry because his mom is still in the hospital. Um recovering. Um because his family just like they're my family. Like from the day that I stepped foot into his house and he introduced me as his girlfriend, like it was just, you know, warm and welcoming. And like, I've known, you know, his parents as long as I've known him for 15 years and, you know, his dad jokes, but, and his family in Mexico jokes, but they're like, if you leave her, she's welcome here. You're not like, you know, like it's that <laughs> whole like situation. And we go to Mexico and like, they just, and I was scared. Like, I really thought that, you know, this small little pueblecito in Mexico, like they've never seen, like, they probably seen like two black people. They were probably all on TV, you know, like, are they going to like be racist? Or like, I was really nervous the first time I went to, to, to Jalisco uh, in Guadalajara. And I thought that, you know, there was going to be some like shunning of me because of my skin color. And it was like the complete opposite. His grandfather was like, your skin is so beautiful. It looks like mine, you know, when I would, looks like mine when I'm out in the sun for too long, you know, he was very like gracious and like his cousins and his aunts were like, let's paint your nails and let's take you for tacos. And like, you know, it just became this whole other family and like just so full of warmth and, you know, and his, his mom and his dad are just have always been so kind and generous. And so I think like for me, that's like the biggest like blessing, you know, just to be able to feel like, fully. And not a lot of people have that, you know, like even in Latino families, like not everybody loves their in-laws, but like, I love my in-laws, you know? <laughs> so, um, and the poet part, I think is also a blessing because we get to talk, you know, get to talk shop. Um, 
although we both kind of hate the way that each other does it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like where I give like really like critical feedback, you know, and he's like, you're awesome. Your work is fire. And I'm like, that's not helpful. (laughs) So, so we kind of, I've learned to adjust to be like, I tell him all the good things first. And then I'm like, but what do you think, you know, like rework this line, you know, so I've learned to like kind of switch my tactics so he doesn't like shut down. But are there uh, post-it notes throughout the house? That's what we want to know. No, no. Why would there be? Oh, Okay. I've left post-it notes in his lunch when he used to go to work. I used to buy you put little post-it notes, like, you know. Oh, is that you were referencing that William Carlos William poem? No, I am not, but now oh, okay. I'm, it up. I'm just wondering. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just thinking, like, I think it's a Mexican thing. Gore, like, just post-it notes everywhere, like little notes left right. all around. Uh, but I totally relate to that whole feedback thing, because every time they, like, I go to my husband with, like, oh, I just wrote this poem, and I read to him, he's like, I like it, but blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I really just needed you to tell me. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> but at the same time, the the criticism, the feedback, like is so important, right? In mm-hmm. order to grow, right? So it's, it is so wonderful that you have that. Uh, and speaking of you and Lupe, you and Lupe have a show coming up, do you not? So we, we do-ish. Uh, it might be postponed. Uh, it's, it's still going to happen. Well, it's just so his, his mom was diagnosed with COVID um, at, about two weeks ago. And so she's been in the hospital. And so we just like getting it all together is just like not happened at the pace that we would had hoped. Um, and so, uh, but tentatively, uh, we will have a show at some point in the near future uh, called Domesticated, uh, Dominican and Mexican. Uh, and it's basically our love story uh, with poetry and sort of short essays and skits interwoven in between. Um, and we've, we've told this story like a million times. So finally we were like, well, let's just make it a thing. And we have poems that, um, are kind of like that work with each other. And they're also like response poems. Like I'll have written a poem and then he'll be like, oh, and he'll write a response to, you know, the poem that I wrote about a thing. And so we're hoping to like combine all of that uh, and make it make it a nice, fun show. Uh, so everybody knows kind of, and can, you know, kind of tells the history of our relationship, right? From courting and dating to, you know, getting engaged in marriage and trying for a baby and all that good stuff. So, yeah. And that's happening through Stages. Stages uh, Repertory Theater, yeah. So what they're doing is they're having the folks go in. We would go into this theater, uh, just us and like the camera crew, and they would film us like, you know, on stage doing our thing, uh, sort of edit it, cut it, and then like, you know, post it for folks to see. So it is going to happen. Uh, it may not be sort of in the timeline that originally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so not, and then uh, you talked earlier about do, being part of that uh, poem a day from poets.org. Mm-hmm. And that you all of a sudden got all this fan mail. I, saw that I mean, on- okay, granted, it was only like four emails, but for someone who gets like you know one a year, <laughs> I was like, "What is all this mail? Like, what is happening?" You know. Uh, sorry, you had a question. <laughs> no, 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 that was it. Was like, what stood out about those? Like, was there anything like really like off the wall? You're like, what? Really? Like, no, it was all really like. G- generous, kind, just, um, you know, folks thanking me for for the piece. And, you know, one one gentleman who was like, you know, I never reach out to poets, but like your poem really moved me. So I felt like compelled to like write you a note. And then I, I responded back, you know, just a quick like, thank you. That means a lot. You know, appreciate you. I'm glad like poetry brought you some light during these dark times. And he like wrote back and was like, oh my God, I never expected you to answer me back. <laughs> that gives me like so excited. I'm on my way to my, you know, my writing workshop class. And this just made me feel so good. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, you know, who would have known? Um, and then the one lady who lives in Switzerland, she literally gave me like her whole <laughs> like life story. And, you know, I, I read it and I was like, wow, I feel connected to her. And so it was just really nice to know that like something like that, you know, uh, is like my writing is like reaching out to folks. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, Cause I have another friend who she, she often talks about all the emails that she gets after she publishes a poem. And I'm like, people do that. Like people are emailing you after you write a poem, <laughs> like, like really? And so then when it happened, I was like, oh wow, this is actually like a thing. Um, but it was all kind, it was nothing like creepy or mean or like, I actually was expecting somebody to be like, we need to build a wall, you know? Like I think <laughs> some sort of like, you know, xenophobic, fascist, racist, like something to pop into my inbox, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. I don't, I don't want to like stereotype people, but I'm not sure, well, that the wall builder types read. 
Poems. I, I was going to say it's poets.org, not YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think they should read more poems personally, but I can just saying, just saying. Yeah. But uh, there, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of love for it. We've got, yeah, Jasmine, love that poem. The show's going to be dope. Can't wait whenever you choose to and are able to present it. It's actually going to explode. Also, Lupe doesn't use any type of adobo in his rice, so. <laughs> he, doesn't. he doesn't. We have had this conversation. <laughs> so you have been uh, a very lauded and multi-published page poet. Uh, you also uh, are a stage poet as well as have a background in theater. I'm going to ask you. Which do you love more, the page or the stage? Ooh. You give me, you get all the questions. Um, I'm a Gemini, so, you know, it's the whole, like, having to choose between two things. I can't do it, so I love watching somebody else try. Right, right. So, interestingly enough, um, that's a good question. I don't think anybody, anybody's ever asked me that. Because um, for a while, so I, like, left theater. So after I was really sick and, like, chronically ill for a long time, um, I, I left theater because it was just physically difficult for me to perform. It was just very hard to be like in a show, like a full production, you know, with rehearsals, four hours a night for four weeks. And then, you know, four weeks of shows, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like I was like, I just, I can't, my body cannot do this. Um, so I left theater. Um, there were other reasons too, mainly like Houston's racist theater scene. And like, they just weren't producing plays for people like me. Um, it's changing slowly. Mm -hmm. um, but so I was like, I'm not gonna keep wasting my time. So I left theater, uh, but I'd always done poetry. I did performance poetry, a little bit of slam. Um, so like, let me do that. Like, it's a nice combo of like, I get to tell the story I'm telling, you know, I'm writing it, I get to put myself on stage, et cetera. And so for a long time, I like performance was my thing, was like my baby. That was like, that's what was my driving passion for for like middle, middle school through like mid twenties. Um, and then I was on a lot of medication for a lot of different things that just basically like made it impossible for me to like, remember anything like memorized shit. Like my brain was just foggy. I was in constant brain fog. Um, and I, it just, it kind of wrecked me in the sense that I just was so afraid of like even trying to like memorize anything and be on stage poetry or otherwise. Um, and I still don't, like, I think that there's still some like, yeah, I, I kind of waver on that. Um, so, so I will say that because of all of that, um, I really love writing so much more now than performance. Um, like I'll perform if I like have to, um, but it's just like, I just, I don't know that my heart's as into it, right? Like I can totally fake it, um, but my heart is so much more into um, into the writing. And I like reading aloud what I write, but I don't necessarily have the same like drive to like perform it. Um, and when I wrote like my first play and had other people perform my words, dude, I don't know how playwrights don't have like, aren't ego tripping all the time. Like <laughs> the whole process, I had to be like, Stay humble, stay humble, stay humble. Because I was literally like, yeah, that's my words. You know, like, it was so much like, I, it was like so hard to be, you know, like you just have to really like check yourself. Like, yes, they're performing your work, but like, you know, I don't know. It's just like a weird feeling to be like my words in other people's mouths. You know what I mean? Like it was a whole thing. Um, so I, I love being a playwright. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and so that, that combines like, you know, that performance and writing part of it. But I think, the last thing I'll say is I think that um, I really enjoy teaching performance. Um, maybe maybe a little more than even teaching writing. I like teaching writing, um, but I think I really enjoy, especially with you like young like adults, like young teens. I love being in like a theater workshop and like working with them. That's a lot of fun. So you wrote the play. Did you direct it too? No, no. Uh, it was a playwriting workshop uh, with stages uh, for the Latinx uh, Seed Mudos Festival. Um, and I was in the room, though. I was in the room with the director and with the actor. So it was like a workshop setting, um, you know, similar to if you do like a creative writing workshop um, with a playwriting workshop, you have like actual actors there. You can kind of like revise and rework lines if you feel like it's not working once you hear it, you know, with the actors um, and the director totally like shapes it into the, sort of their vision. Um, but you but me as a playwright, I, I was in the room and it was nice to see that. Well, I guess that was my question. Like, what's it like to have it be out there and then maybe it being shaped into something that you didn't envision? I mean, I think that's the risk you take and that's like the beauty and the joy of it too, right? Like I would love, since right now it's it's still a play that's in, um, definitely still in production. It's still like, it's not 
fully, fully realize it's gonna, there's gonna be another reading of it, a virtual reading of, of this same play coming up in October uh, in a couple of weeks. And um, I love that. I think, and just like, even with like, when you write something for the page, folks are gonna interpret and analyze and think about things that you were like, that's not what I, okay. You know, like, I guess that's what you <laughs> thought that was. And that's fine, right? Like you can't control how another artist or another person is going to interpret or receive your work. Um, and I think for me, I think like, as long as someone doesn't use my work, like in a way that's like, right? Like to spread hate or to do something that I really was just like, that's not what I'm here for, you know? Um, then I'm then I'm excited. I'm excited to see what others can can do with what I've written. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a risk you take in it, but I also think it's it's fun and why not? Just like you can't control your child, <laughs> you <laughs> may have created it. <laughs> yeah, you put it out, put the child out. Yeah, there, it, it, it goes into the world and makes its own choices. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jasmine, I want to thank you because this has been phenomenally uh, entertaining, insightful, and hunger-inducing. Educating. Uh, educating. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we've both known Lupe for a while, uh, but this is my first time really having you know a conversation with you and like really getting to know you, and I feel like we did. Yeah. We totally got to know you. We I want to make rice. I want to make rice now, a different style. I know. We <laughs> have to send you a recipe. We got to know the person behind the poetry and I absolutely love it. Um, so thank you for this conversation. If you could please do us the honor of closing us out with one more poem. I will. So <clears throat> I'm going to end with this piece. <clears throat> to an hombre dominicano who told me it was not my place to write about Dominican-Haitian relations after Lorna Di Cervantes and Rosebud Ben-Ani. My body is a midnight church, and when the blue of your mouth broke open a black estuary depositing soiled slurs and sediment, frothing feral words kept you from being forgotten. Your tongue lashed shame into submission so I would know you were a proud man like my father. Shaking your hands in your head, a machete, striking blows against my resistance when I tried to explain that my poetry was for women. Martyred by men they disagreed with women. For 27 de febrero en la puerta del conde, women. For anti-dictatorship, viva la revolución, si se puede, women. For la guerra de 1965, fuera con los Yankees, women. For teachers and students, poets and writers, activists, women. And then, esos gringos y el haitiano sullied out of your bullhorn mouth like volcanic rocks ejected from a follow burning field and false idol monuments erected in the town square in honor of la patria. Again, I tried to justify that my poetry was for women, amas de casa bearing rifles and marching in skirts, women, for chanting in verse to deliver their boys from exile, women, for red moon buzzing butterfly assassin, women, for sharp tongue, cracked tooth, camouflage, combat boots, women. For pregnant resistance and fighting womb, womb relic, women. For the type of woman I was before you, fissured your fleshy mouth open and ruptured hot, marked your own territory with a stream of words that muddied my tongue and pursed my lips shut until I crawled inside my midnight church and plucked red, orange, pomegranate, and pale pink roses from my cheeks, and I laced them into a bulletproof crown of words on my head in memory of the women who are more than a talking head statue in the center of an abandoned park where the men like you go to weep. Absolutely. You definitely need to go back and look at the comments because people are just snaps, God, work, hearts, <laughs> hearts. all the love. love it. All it. I teach in all girls high school and I'm going to need a copy of that last poem. Mm. Uh, yeah, for sure. For my, for my speech kids, especially. Uh, yeah, I even I get tongue tied. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, if anyone yeah. is interested in finding more of Jasmine's work, you can definitely do so on her website, jasminemendless.com. That's Jasmine with two N's and an E. I am not the other Jasmine with one N. She does things I don't do. Totally respect her. This is not my life. <laughs> <laughs> Just that. No, J-A-S-M-I-N-N-E. 
M-E-N-D-E-Z, jasminemendez.com. That's where you can find uh, copies of Jasmine's work as well as links to purchase her merchandise. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter at the same handles, Jasmine Mendes. And, you know, you can tip her. Tip the poet. If we had a hat, we'd pass it. Actually, we don't pass around a hat. We pass around a Kermit, a Kermit lunchbox, uh, which is somewhere in my house right now. Uh, but, yeah, tip the poet. Um Oh, wait, yep, I need a copy for me too, somebody says, on the website, they asked, question mark. Yes, on the website, there's a thick section called books, a tab. Ooh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Buy it for your students, teach it in your you curriculum. Teach Latin, Latinx artists in your curriculum. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So thank you for spending the time with us, Jasmine. Thank it's you been so absolutely much. delightful. <laughs> yeah, this has been fun, this is great, thank you so much. Mwah. All right, that was a that was a phenomenal conversation. I feel so full. Yeah, no, I'm hungry. I'm not full. <laughs> I feel full in my heart, in my heart, and that's hey. just that's just part one, part one of five part Latinx History Month. That's true, true. So Eddie, now for real, real, not for play, for play, real, for real, not, not, not. You know, who's coming next? I, mean, week? I looked at the calendar this time. You know, confirm it. Instead of just going off the off the dome, and there's problems with the dome sometimes. But if you've ever wandered over into YouTube, into uh, to the Deaf Poetry Jam from back in the day, and seen this poet do this fire fire piece called "This Is a Suit," mm -hmm. which was one of the first pieces that really just like got me going, got me like to like yell yeah back at the at the television or at the computer screen when I was watching it. Uh, Joaquin Siwatanejo will be with us uh, next week to talk about all of his stuff. All the things. All, all the things. things. Artist, writer, <laughs> activist, educator. Everything. All the things. Uh, so we are so excited to have that as we continue to celebrate Latinx slash Hispanic Heritage Month here in the diaspora. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> We can have a debate about language in oh, the yeah. coming weeks. Latinx to Hispanic Heritage Month. I wanted to ask for that, and then now, now I'm gonna have to save it for the next for the next poll. For the next one, yes. Uh, but that will be happening. If you want more information about the things that we are doing and what's coming up in the future, you can now follow Words and Shit on Instagram and Twitter. It is yeah. at Words and Shh. Ah, yeah. see what we did there, sin querer queriendo, but words yeah. and shh on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow Write Art Out on Instagram, W-R-I-T-A-R-T-O-U-T, or the Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook as well. Uh, we have some amazing shows planned for you through the rest of the year. And of course, Write Art Out and Blah Poetry Spot do their own writing workshops and open mics. So to get more information, follow them we have lots of people who watch today who have not watched us before please come back watch us every thursday and follow us on those uh, social media sites uh to see what we're up to because we're always bringing some great poets and having some great conversation and if you want to join us and if you want to catch up on past episodes they are available on our podcast wherever you find your podcasts wherever you get your podcasts i listen to a lot of npr podcasts so i love that wherever you get your podcasts <laughs> Like and subscribe us wherever you get your podcasts. Anywho, until then, that was Eddie Vega. And that was Chibi Ordunia. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe, y'all. Good night, everybody.